In a world where Republicans and Democrats work together, things might actually get done. Every day in Charlotte, North Carolina, two council members deal with the city's most pressing issues, like potholes. They don't follow the rules, they make them. Those two council members are Larkin Eggleston and Tarek Bakari, and we join them now for another episode of R&D in the QC. Are you not entertained? Are you not entertained? Is that why you are here? It's episode 22. We talk about the environment, housing, the budget, three deals coming up, and Commissioner Matthew Ridenauer joins the pod. It's episode 22, r and in the QC. We're coming in hot, folks. Larkin, welcome back to the show. You sound like an idiot. That's how, you, you've got to come in with that kind of hype nature. See, I let you do it last week. I refuse. And guess what? Thousands of our listeners came back and said, man, Tark, please take it back over again. Exactly zero people said that. Exactly zero did. But you know what? If they had thought to do so, they might have. That does not make sense. Um, <laughs> all right. Why don't we talk about stuff? Where are we at? Where are we at? All right. So we had a couple committee meetings today, and then a budget meeting, and then a council meeting. So we'll talk about all of them in chronological order, mm. uh, and then we will get to an interview previously recorded this morning um, with a friend of ours from a different floor of this building. But... Um, our first committee meeting this morning was the Environment Committee meeting. Mm. And so today uh, we put forward, it will come to the full council, I believe, in a week. But we put forward the resolution that has been talked about a lot since last November. I think one of the final meetings of the previous city council, there was one that got kind of brought quickly um, and maybe without the time that's now been had to, to hash it out, talk with a lot of experts, make sure we get the language right. Ooh, um, that's such a, but, uh, a a nice way you position that. But to, uh, <laughs> to, to put it forward and not only make it aspirational in terms of how Charlotte will aspire to be a greener, more sustainable, cleaner energy city, uh, but how we actually achieve that and, and that it is a goal that is achievable, which I think People might have felt like the one in the fall lacked that element. So uh, that did get voted up in uh, in the committee today, I think four to one. And so we'll come to the full council uh, for consideration in the coming weeks. I, I I will give props where it's due. And clearly there there's more thought behind all this. The feedback I gave staff on this one uh, was a thousand light years beyond where we were before. But, you know, what are the financial ramifications what are the, in the next 12 years of budgets before the, the first part, 2030, which is of the plan, which is primarily in our control, what is, you know, what, what is the manager, if we, if we adopt this, what's the challenge, Adam? Is it hundred bucks? Is it a hundred billion dollars? You know, something to kind of at least indirectly quantify what the nature of what we're talking about. And I guess my, my only other question to you is, this is, this is not a proclamation, it's a what? Resolution. Resolution. So the mayor pushed back a little bit in tonight's uh, strategy update on do we need a resolution. I think maybe she, once a piece of information was clarified for her, she was like, oh, okay, I get it. But I guess I'd ask that question again to you. What does the resolution do? What, other than like, you know, 
I mean, we won't. We do proclamations because things are great and you know non-controversial. Um, we we will not do censures. I feel like you argued the other side of this argument like three episodes ago, saying that there was, or maybe it wasn't. Maybe it was off the air, as it were. But I, you know, you, I do think there's some value in kind of taking a stand and saying this is something we believe in. Um, there's but a doesn't lot the of, plan itself do that? If we believe in it and adopt a plan, what do you yeah, need a resolution I mean, for? Well, I think one of them, it's, maybe it's kind of like our straw vote process. Maybe part of it is you're saying, does this council have the political will to, to stick their neck out and say, this is something that, you know, maybe the country has withdrawn from the Paris Climate Accord, but we as a city believe in the in the value of those type of initiatives and those type of goals. And then you, you go from there, and I think staff's already crafting a plan, and they'll have to, to flesh that out better, but... Um, you put forward the kind of flag in the ground that says this is something we care about, this is something we believe in, and you start working towards those goals by better hashing out your plan. So, you know, is it the resolution in and of itself a solution to anything? No, but I think it it kind of brands this as an issue that we care about, and then we, we go from there to achieve those goals. Okay, fair enough. You win. Uh, hand committee. Mm. Another... Um, plan and just so everyone framework. understands, we had two committee meetings themselves today. Then, in after our long budget cycle, we also had in our the beginning or whenever in each month we have a council where we do a strategy session where all committee chairs basically give an update. So we kind of got a double whammy of these two as well, as well as the other ones got a chance to speak. But what happened today in hand committee, housing and neighborhood development, Mr. Larkin? So the staff uh, and the committee brought forward a framework that is kind of our slightly synonymous word to plan, but it's a framework by which, you know, and you've asked repeatedly, you said the city and the private sector have put forward these big numbers, these big dollar amounts to say, we're going to, we're going to put money towards trying to make a dent in this critical issue in our city of, of, a need for housing and, and housing that's affordable to people. Um, but you have, you've pushed back repeatedly and said, Hey, let's make sure there's a plan behind this instead of just, Oh, well, here's all this money. What do we do with it? Um, and I think that would have been the, the case anyway. Um, but staff has put together something I think that's far more robust than anything we'd seen to date. I made the point tonight in the committee report out that I felt like, this issue was due a lot of our time over the last six months, uh, and it has been given a lot of our time over the last six months, everything from our council retreat in Durham to the um, Housing and Neighborhood Development Committee retreat two months ago to last month's meeting and today's meeting, all of which were kind of, you know, pushing and pulling and, and debating the nuances of what's our plan and what what do we see as our options for how to deploy these dollars to get the best gain uh, and the best return. And, and I pushed tonight a little bit and said, hey, there needs to be action now. We've we've hashed this out about as much as anything could be discussed. And at this point, we've got to say, all right, everybody's been heard. Um, we've discussed all the options. And here is our framework. Here is our plan. Adopt it and move forward. And it has to go from talk to action. And it, I totally agree. I just, I don't, I want to give credit where it's due because they put a lot of work into it. Um but I still, I, it doesn't look like, it's not a plan to me. It's a, it's a deeper document that shows a couple more data points and then essentially says, you know, 
here are all the tools that we've talked about that could be used. And like a plan is like, okay, so if we have 50 million bucks that the voters approve in November, what dent is that? How is that going to be deployed? And what dent is that going to make in the challenge? And if the private sector is inspired in the way they seem to be ramping up to be to also make an impact here, how can, how can what they do kind of, you know, uh, come in and be synergistic with this? So, uh, Clearly, there's still a lot of work to do, but at the end of the day, this is going to pass uh, the city council uh, budget. I mean, there's there's no doubt in my mind that a week from uh, today we will um, we we're going to vote on the budget, and that part of it's going to be approved. So the real question is, in the summer, before we will see really hard hard set private sector um, commitments back, how are we going to craft a plan that ultimately the community can look at? If the community cares enough to look at this and say, you know what, it's not that I think 50 million bucks is or isn't the right amount of money. It's not that I think that this problem is or isn't significant, but that this plan is the right plan using that money to address that problem. And that I'm not sure. Well, I think part of it is I have full faith in the, I, like you, This it's a foregone conclusion that this is what's going on the, the ballot as a bond number. But uh, I have full faith in the community that the community will pass this as well. And I do think that it is incumbent on us to have a plan to go along with it, or, or as we're saying now, a framework to, of ideas to go along with it. Um, but I also think that people voted a majority of us on the council with housing being one of our top issues. And, and they kind of demonstrated their trust to us as individuals and as a collective group to say, we're going to put you in office and in this position to impact this problem, this issue of housing. Uh, I think voters are going to support the $50 million housing bond in the fall, and they're going to want to have see that we've done some of that legwork to say, how are we going to deploy it? But I think they're also going to trust us to make individual decisions as as time goes on. And that's the with worst that money. decision they could do to put that level of trust in us. I don't Where think it is. Where have we shown that we are capable of doing things like this? Well, you when haven't, we, but several of them. Anybody. So look, we're talking 11 years in the making, the Scaly Bark story that we talked about. 11 years in the making. Eastland is, Mall, we can't figure out how to get out of our own way yet we're supposed to manage land trust banks and and have coordinate and steer private equity funds i mean i i just i i that frightens the heck out of me the 11 the that. 11 years of of eastland woes and and maybe not making as much of a dent in housing as it should have been made are not <laughs> that is not the the cross of most of us on council to bear that that's not time we were here and I think, again, that's why voters voted in change. They voted in people who they think will be more aggressive and will make an impact in those places that, that impact has not been made previous. And so um, I, I think that we can't prescribe how each of those dollars will be spent today. We have to have those dollars available as a resource to deploy when opportunities present themselves. And so to your, you know, abused and, and, and far stretched out analogy of, of you always talk about playbooks, I do think you have to say, here are ways we might potentially spend this money. Some of that is just going to have to depend on which of those opportunities present themselves and which don't. So, uh, you know, the playbook analogy, um, you, you wear it out. But I, I think that in this case, it's, it's apropos because we don't know exactly how we're going to spend every one of these dollars, but we do know, some of the ways we might spend them, and we have to we have to have those at the ready um, 
to activate when, when the opportunity arises. All we need is an extraordinary playbook here. If we can get that done. One more, <laughs> one more week of that word. And then, it's, and then like the word millennial, it's banned. Yes. You're, so you ban words, do you like I, it? Well, we've known that since March. So budget. We had another budget meeting tonight. Only um, one week left. One week left. And uh, this, was, this wasn't even on the books. This was because we couldn't talk about everything we needed to in last week's budget adjustments circle up. So, to clear up the legal ramifications there, it was on the books, but only like oh, a handful yeah, of days ago. That's right. That's right. So what <laughs> part of the original plan? So um, I have never been part of a meeting where I have made the case for so many things and have been so unsuccessful in my entire career uh, than tonight's meeting. Care to comment? I'll, I'll I'll use a a Tarek like analogy. A playbook of sorts. No, I'll, I'll say you'd you'd already had a game where you'd overperformed mm. over the course of the the budget process, and then you decided to come out and try to shoot a half court shot <laughs> just to show that you know just to just because you felt like trying, and and it clanked. Um, you know you didn't you didn't get any of the stuff you were going into tonight's meeting looking to get. But you got a lot of the stuff you wanted over the course of this entire budget. And and I would argue most of those boxes would not have been checked. But for your uh, persistent, albeit at times annoying, uh, <laughs> rhythmic drum beating on these things. So let's and just so, go through what failed tonight for me. Well, so And again, this isn't like, oh, I've, I, I, I appreciate you saying that. I, I didn't participate in and leave that meeting feeling like, oh, I tried, but I had a, like, this was like, so we did, well, we, the manager and everyone else did a great job with, with police pay, fire parity, all the things we talked about to kind of realign midstream here to do some very extraordinary things. The last piece that was missing, we talked about it last week when we learned, uh, was, you know, this whole, the last piece that was missing for you, for and for them, <laughs> was was step 13, the third of our officers, about just a little more than a third, who are in that top step, topped out area, who we, who we kind of back, backed away a little bit from. Now, in fairness, year over year, it is a little bit higher, but they didn't get that, um, uh, whatever synonym of extraordinary might be there, uh, action. I went and spent that next morning, after we recorded this podcast last week, um, I went to roll call at South Division, which was at 06-1500 hours or whatever. That was brutal. I only had slept like three hours. But I got to hear from them. And the, the I heard some very clear messages from that senior group of officers, which is we feel like we're being left out. And just as important to, I think, anything, and I said this tonight in the meeting to the manager of, you use data, which I love, to look at where the biggest retention problems are. And those weren't at step 13. They were earlier, step six, step nine, places like that. And they, he, he overaccounted for that. The story they said back to me was this area that, that maybe that you think that's the retention problem, they in fact have a pivot point in their careers where they, are, they have the option before they age out to go to some higher level law enforcement, FBI, special training areas, whatever. I don't remember all the areas. But the point was that's a, a pivotal time. And they're not looking at maybe what their salary is going to be next year. They're looking at this path in my career at CMPD or this path, which is much more lucrative. And they're looking at step 13. And they're saying, how will, how will I be taken care of when I reach the pinnacle of where I'm going? So that was a compelling case. And I was very disappointed that 
that was one I didn't get success in tonight. But I do think that to some degree, and again, we've talked about how the city manager having to try to appease 12 people simultaneously is not an enviable position no, to be in. No, not at all. He's um, really doing a good but we, job. We did, we did kind of have his, him chasing his tail a little bit there because several, several of us had said um, this 5% gap that has traditionally existed between police and fire, we're not comfortable stretching that gap. Uh, and the whatever two iterations of the budget ago very much did stretch that gap. And in the latest iteration of the budget, we got it back to 5%, um, not by bringing police down in any way from the previous iteration. So, I mean, I, I think we did do something extraordinary, and that's how normal people pronounce that word. I'm sorry, what was that? <laughs> it's I extraordinary. I don't, I, don't, I don't know what that means. I'll it's, look it it's up. It's one word, not, not two. Um, <laughs> I do think that we did something extraordinary for police and fire in this budget. Um, we didn't stretch that gap out. Doing something at the last minute... Um, for that and and again not it's but not the, the money was there the, dude the money was there you saw it the the manager teed it up for us this whole ETJ Pineville thing already accounted for here's more than half a million dollars what would you like to do with it well and again i'm not saying that that's not a deserving place to put dollars um but it, but if it was stretching that gap that's something several of us said we weren't comfortable with um, and then that's something you got to go back and you've got to justify to the fire department. And so, um, you know, it's, again, I think that, that this is, and, and anyone who's listening, and, and I'm sure some people will be frustrated that you, did, you, you didn't get what you were fighting for there, but I think credit is, is deserved. I think you got more in this budget for the majority, if not all police officers, than would have been in there otherwise. And so... You know, to me, that's not a t- tonight was certainly you, you kind of took it on the chin, but I, I think overall, um, you got more people to be on board with probably a more significant change in public safety pay than has been done in recent memory or than would have been done this year, but for um, that kind of constant advocacy for it. So, um, your other one was, was your South Park oh, thing. Oh, God. Yeah. <laughs> Let me remind you of all your losses tonight. Yeah, yeah, that's great. That's great. But, I mean, and that one, again, fought hard, reprioritizing, fighting for reprioritizing the capital budget with things all for the last many months to enable us to get $5 million in, in, in the straw vote recently. To and, and that's what I said. I'm not asking for another $5 million blank check, whatever I'm saying. I will come to the table and activate the private sector. And this is a new innovative approach of put this money here. It doesn't get deployed unless the private sector matches in the near term, which I was very confident based on the conversations I've had over the last two weeks that we'd be able to make happen. And, you know, I, 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 think, I think maybe where I got bogged down there was there was some support. Thank you for seconding my motion uh, very much. But I, I think... Um, the ask of me, a layman on the outside of the budget, not in the budget department, to be able to sit here around the table and recommend exactly on the fly where I think the cut should be made. If I have to do that, that was just too tall of an order, and I did my best. But you know, that's that's a that's that's a not, that is not nearly as 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 you know personal anguish for me as the police officer pay thing. But it's a different topic, and South Park and District Six desperately need infrastructure investment. And we've got, we've got to figure out creative ways to incentivize. Uh, Mr. Councilman Winston said it best. 
Uh, they're looking to us to bring innovative solutions to the table. And I was willing to put my neck out and say, I'll go, I'll go match this money. And we'll double the impact of these funds for these types of things. So, I, you know, it was just another one. Well, and that's why that, that innovative approach that, that you came up with, um, that Dr. Harlow ended up using on one of his uh, <laughs> proposals, that's why I voted for both yours and Dr. Harlow's proposals, because I think that it does give us a test case. His subsequently was adopted, but I think, and I'm glad it was because I think that gives us an example to then go by down the road, whether it's us or another council and say, Hey, this is something that's been done before. It was effective. It's a way to leverage tax dollars from the pro- from the public sector with private dollars and, and stretch, stretch the, our ability to achieve some of these outcomes further than we could just with, with tax dollars alone. So I, I, I think that your idea didn't end up um, translating into the win for you and for South Park, though I will note that a lot of the money in these um, kind of light items we're looking at today, like sidewalks and pedestrian safety, the bike plan, all that stuff, some of that money will be deployed in District 6 and 7 uh, as in, and all across the city. But I, I think that it gave Dr. Harlow the idea to do his thing. That worked. And I think down the road, it's it's a model that we can now say we will have done I'm certain Dr. Harlow will come through on his, and, and it'll be a model that has proven successful. And I think that is a way that we need to start considering if people if people are willing to go out there and do the legwork like you or Justin said you were to get more money from the private sector. I think we should reward that by um, yeah. entrusting them with with potential public dollars to back that up. And on the plus side, you know, while I was depressed beyond beyond belief in the middle of that meeting, I did step back and think, well, you know, the one thing that still is in there is the additional $5 million for South Park that I was able to negotiate earlier in the process and keep in. So, Did you so, notice no one tried to cut that either? Well, yeah, maybe because my shock and awe of the match money and everyone forgot the other $5 million was in there. So barring any craziness over the next week, my hope is that does indeed stay because we really need it. We really do need it. I mean, Councilman Phipps probably would have come for it, but that bike money was dangling he's out going, there. So he, he's really, uh, his, his uh, full frontal attack on bikes that's really, is, uh, is impressive. Right Shannon now. Benz, if you're listening, I think you need to activate an email uh, <laughs> an email initiative uh, yeah. focused on council member go, fix. Go, Let him know what a, you think. Chat with the line bike folks. I think they have a tool you could use. <laughs> 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 Click here and email council member Phipps. Um, so that's that, but anything else in the budget you want to talk about? I don't think so. I think we've pretty well put this thing to bed. Well, it'll come back to us next Monday. We've got one week left on the 11th final crazy sneaky thing. Lord willing, there out. won't be any other crazy sneaky things. It'll just come to us for a vote. Yeah. Um, I think that, you know, I don't think anybody should hang their head on this budget. I think everybody, pretty much to a person, got something for the things that they they are prioritizing. Whether that's their district, whether that's a certain, um, whether that's a certain segment of like you know, for me, managed to get some money for the bike program that has not been funded for so long. So I think everybody had their and their, your fight for fire parity. I mean, you, yeah. you were the champion for that. No doubt. About um, it. So I think we all made none of, and this is probably indicative of the budget process. We're having right none now. of us got everything we wanted, but all of us got some of what we wanted. And that's probably the best we can expect the manager to do is to appease all of us a little, but none of us entirely. You can't always get what you want, but if you try sometimes, you can levy a one cent tax increase on the people here. I think that's what Mick said. Is that what he said? Yeah. Sorry, everybody, for that. From deeply from me. Oh, for the tax increase or yes. for that awful Rolling Stones analogy? Both. Oh. Both. <laughs> 
So anyway, there were three other topics we got updated on today that we will also be voting on next week, as if everything else wasn't jam-packed in there. I think some of them might come like three weeks from now. I don't know what Oh, why. at least one of them is yeah. next week. And then, yeah, maybe maybe it's the following week. Um, so first one, Memorial I you, Stadium. I don't know if you noticed this, but all three happen to be in District 1. And where is that again? I'm sorry. Just, oh, it's it's the heart. Like it's the heart of the city. The heart. You're, you're actually sitting in it right now. The R and D in the QC studio ah. is in District One. We I don't refer know. to that as flyover district. I don't know if we. Uh, <laughs> I don't know if we pay taxes here in the R and D in the QC studio, but <laughs> we uh, do not. Yeah. Well, we also don't make any money. Mm-hmm. Um, True. So yeah. So we had three things, and the first of which, probably the one people have been hearing the most about lately, is Memorial Stadium. Um, We'll be voting. That's the one next week, I believe. Let me toss out some data points that we learned here. So, oh, please don't go through your entire I won't, spreadsheet. I won't, but, but essentially, the, our ask is $3 million, up to $3 million, so that we can not, again, this is a done deal. Memorial Stadium renovations are happening. This is about us helping with the, what is it, AstroTurf, is it? No. No. No, no one calls turf, it AstroTurf anymore. Okay. No. The, just the uh, the turf, turf. And... Um, and I asked a few questions. So right now what the negotiation on the table is, we get five days of utilization of Memorial Stadium City, which is rent-free, for, um, for 15 years. And they did some math for us. Basically, $12,000 is the typical base rent for getting that uh, per time. And then they've generated, using the Battle of the Bands kind of as a median model, $84,000 in new net new taxes that came in and indirect visitor spending of $1.7 million. So when I looked at all that, I said, did the rough math and said, all right, so it's roughly around a little less than a seven year payback period for our investment, which isn't great in from private sector terms, terms, but for public sector terms, it is a payback period, but I guess, which is great. So my, my ask was, could you bring that up to 10 days? That would bring it more to a three-year payback period, which is more in line with what we'd seen investing in the private sector. Um, and uh, we, 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 we don't know what the answer is there. Yeah, I mean, I think this is, is a good investment, and I think there are other things that we're doing where the county is coming to the table. Actually, the third thing we'll talk about tonight, the county is, is bringing some dollars to the table. And so I think we, we often talk, and we'll talk in the second segment with um, Commissioner Ridenauer, we talk about trying to break out of these silos a little bit. And I think this is an opportunity to do that. They are doing the lion's share of the work on this project, but I think it's it's critically important for the city, not just the county, and is going to generate uh, a lot of excitement in that area. And I think that it it brings, I mean, just, you know, for one thing, our professional soccer team doesn't play in the city of Charlotte. Um, they're the, the Charlotte Independents, but they don't play in Charlotte, much like the Charlotte Knights not used to not play in Charlotte. And so think about the impact that bringing the Charlotte Knights into uptown Charlotte has had um, versus when they used to play down in South Carolina. In this case, the Charlotte Independents play out in Matthews at a wonderful facility, but it's not particularly convenient to maybe as many fans as it would be if it's right in the, the heart of Midtown. So I think that this is, is going to be a big win for everybody. It's a It's a somewhat nominal investment on our part in the scheme of things, and it's coming from the tourism funds, which are earmarked and can only be used for very specific projects like this anyway. So it's not like this is coming out of housing or police pay or anything like that. So, um, And it could be great for our music initiative. I think so. I think there's going to be some opportunities there. Which we met again last week. Second Summit 
is getting pretty excited. I know we're not going to talk about that today. The summit so much as a meeting. Summit sounds a little too official. I call all meeting summits now. So it was an extraordinary summit. All right. So number two could actually have some impact on um, on the music scene in Charlotte too, because it's another uh, well, it's a set of performance venues. Um, on Independence Boulevard, everyone's probably very familiar with Ovens Auditorium and Bojangles Coliseum, which was well, the original hundreds. original Charlotte Coliseum uh, before being many other things. Now Bojangles Coliseum, and there was this has been something that people will remember having read about in a middle to late last year. Um, there was a whole proposal around the funding model for this that I don't think is worth getting into tonight. But um, ultimately, there were funds allocated to create a link apparently we're not calling it a link anymore um i made some joke about i don't know if we got a cease and desist from the local radio station oh you're repeating your terrible terrible joke uh it was good enough that eric spanberg tweeted it so (laughs) it landed um but there'll be a connector there that will improve the facilities both uh for performances at ovens performances at bojangles um for the offices and the the organizations like crva and the checkers and others that are uh are now or will then be housed there, uh, provide some meeting space and um, kind of more like almost convention space that people can use for events and uh, and preserve the historic nature of both those structures but make them far more usable. So um, I think that that's, that's a big win. I know that the, the dollars that have been deployed over there already in eliminating some of the, the blight and the problematic hotels um, where there was a lot of drug and... and um, prostitution and things like that being trafficked over that way has been a big win for that part of my district because um, it, w- it was really a problem over there for, for years and it has um, been markedly improved already and I think continued investment in those those facilities will continue to improve that area. And rail trail, lightning round us out of here, my friend. All right, rail trail. So anyone who's ever ridden uh, a bike or walked or, as we saw pictures tonight, rollerbladed mm. on the rail trail from South End, and you think, I'm going to head uptown on this thing. Uh, it terminates pretty quickly and abruptly at about Moorhead. And so then it doesn't pick up again until you get to about the convention center. Um, and that's been a huge problem. That was something that got value engineered out of the plans a decade ago because of the recession. And um, now something we're going to look at fixing uh, in partnership with North Carolina Department of Transportation, in partnership with the county, uh, some grant opportunities, uh, and some proceeds from land sales from the reconfiguration of 277 um, in that Stonewall Caldwell area. So uh, this is going to be a dedicated path that connects the rail trail from where it terminates at Moorhead all the way to where it um, picks back up around the convention center and will allow people to connect all the way up and down the light rail um, through Uptown. And so then with longer range projects, we have to connect the two greenways, Little Sugar Creek Greenway and Briar Creek Greenway, I believe it is, with the connection that will will bridge those two. This really plugs a lot of neighborhoods into our larger greenway system, into the rail trail, and the rail trail now obviously has extension because of the light rail extension. So um, I think it's it's going to be this will really be a pretty iconic project, I think, and it's going to better connect our neighborhoods and um, and I think increase utilization of the light rail and. Um, alternative transportation in and out of uptown. Well, that sounds great, Larkin. And it's money. And it's on. money that we already have from uh, from land we've already sold. And um, D one, man, you have exciting stuff going on. D one. Well, when you're all the heart the of the city, the investments. When you're the heart of the city, you have to uh, 
Make sure that the heart stays healthy. That's great. That's great. Um, I have three comments I'd like to make before we close out. One, I thought last week's episode was one of our best with our guests, with a lot of the good conversation we had. I got a lot of feedback after that. So uh, just a thank you to our, our, especially our two guests, the senator and the congressman. That was great. Item two, I was disappointed in you in today's meeting when we were going to give our uh, Intergovernmental Relations Committee update that uh, and we always have to have a movie uh, citation in here now that the world knows that you're terrible at movies and pop culture. Uh, when you turned me down, when I said, could we do the Step Brothers model where they're in the interview, where you get behind me and then just lean your head over in the interview, you, you turn that down. But here's what something that will redeem me. Mm. Um, I was flipping through the channels, I don't know, a couple of weeks ago uh, on like a Sunday, and all of a sudden... Step Brothers was on, and it was like 10 minutes into the movie, and I sat and I watched it, and I did it for you. Mm. And so I understood your reference. So you, at least you understood I, I understood your reference. your reference when you made it today. That's I still right. wasn't willing to do it, <laughs> but I at least knew what you were talking about, and I got the joke. <laughs> Let's See, man, one movie at a time. That's great. And then finally, I have an event coming up this Sunday um, after my... Uh, after I was suited up with my bulletproof vest. Would you like me to do my monster like, truck voice? <laughs> yes, please. Sunday, Sunday, Sunday. 2 p.m. Tariq Makari movie premiere. At the Triple C Brewery. Ladies and gentlemen, 2 p.m. We'll be over there. Uh, thank you to Triple C and the honor for over there for uh, for, for Along the in. rail trail. Along the rail trail for jumping in and, and allowing, again, I, I still have some editing work to do here. But uh, my goal is to be done with plenty of time. And, uh, and have everyone join us over there that can. Uh, and and I, I launched the event uh, on social media and Eventbrite today. You can go to my social media pages and you can see it there. There's already RSVP. three people interested. There's a lot of people. I mean, I only launched it like five or six hours ago. And there was like 120 people interested or going. So that would be solid if a lot of folks came out. Really, <clears throat> the food truck will be there, the dumpling lady. Are you familiar with that, Larkin? Oh, I'm very familiar yeah, with the that, dumpling that lady. That thing is legit. Maybe yeah. best uh, food truck in town. Bring your toms. Yes, but it's it's worth it. And uh, and then we're gonna watch my uh, my documentary, which is titled "1018 Officers Need Assistance." That's a clever title, but I still don't believe that you came up with it. Uh, I did have some help from some of the officers, in fact. But um, uh, really excited about that. So, any other thoughts from you, my friend? We've got Matthew Ridenauer, County Commissioner, uh, is our special guest on this week's pod, where we talk about a lot of different topics between us. Everybody's favorite libertarian. Mm, what? Yes, he, he has some. He's kind of libertarian streaks to him. Uh, he's he's a good, he's he's been a longtime friend of mine. He's a good dude. It's nice to have a couple of Republicans on every once in a while here, right? Yeah. A little bit of balance never hurt. Okay. All right. We'll be right back with the commissioner. Welcome back to R&D in the QC. We have a very, very special friend of the pod, friend of both of us personally, uh, County Commissioner Matthew Rid, 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 it's, Riding now? It's, now. it's been yeah. going back and forth all day. <laughs> Inside joke. Matthew, welcome to the show. Thank you very much for having me. It's an honor. Well, we are glad to have you on here because one of the things that we've talked about a lot, uh, particularly now with our role with the Intergovernmental Relations Committee, is how we can be more interactive, more collaborative with other elected bodies than maybe has been the case in the past. So uh, historically, at least as an outsider looking in for Tarek and I, 
I don't think we've perceived there to be a whole lot of interaction between the city council and the county commission. Um, so we're glad that you were willing to come on and talk to us about some of the issues that impact both the city and the county. But how do you see, what opportunities do you see, I guess, for there to be more kind of hand-in-hand working instead of working in the, in the silos that we frequently reference? Yeah, no, that's a, that's a good question. That's something I certainly have noticed as well serving uh, in the last few years is that there doesn't seem to be a whole lot of collaboration on issues between the city and the county, uh, or really even this, the county, let's say, and CMS, except for when it comes time for budgeting. And I do feel like there are a lot of missed opportunities because at the end of the day, the constituent that's sitting at home, they're listening to the podcast, they don't care if it's a city a, a city issue or a county issue or a school board issue, right? They just want some of these issues to be addressed. And uh, who Those hundreds to, of thousands right. of listeners, they just want someone to solve the problem. The one listener right now is sitting at home saying, that's right, that's me. <laughs> well, and we just talked about something. We just came out of an environment committee meeting this morning, and we talked about how our 2050 goal um, for a more clean energy world in, in Charlotte-Mecklenburg has obviously got to have the county as, as a partner and as a stakeholder in it because we can only do what we can do for the city if, if we don't have buy-in from other entities like the county government, then we're not going to be able to achieve the goal we're now setting forward. Um, long range for this community's energy use and um, green initiatives that we're putting forward. So, you know, we do hope that there's more opportunities for us to work with you guys and, and not separate from you guys. Well, you know, you mentioned the green energy, and that's that reminds me of, uh, of what we do within the Land Use and Environmental, Environmental Services Agency towards uh, working towards higher quality of uh, air and, and water standards here in Mecklenburg County. We've done a lot of really good work improving the stream water quality in Mecklenburg County. Uh, a couple of decades ago, only uh, I think it was 15, 20% of the uh, streams in Mecklenburg County were, were, uh, were, were deemed clean and, and, and healthy. Uh, now that number is pushing over 80%. And so we're doing a lot of good work there, but there's certainly those types of opportunities Another opportunity for collaboration between city and county would be um, emergency management. Uh, I've been talking about a lot with some folks about that lately. Uh, we were, the issue really came to light during the uh, the cold spell we had over winter, and a lot of folks who were homeless were on the streets, and there were issues with finding shelter and getting out of the cold. And so, um, you know, that something like that is an opportunity as well for us to to collaborate. Uh, another one would be parks, right? So Mecklenburg County, we fund the parks and we build the parks. Uh, you know, maybe there's an opportunity for city input and involvement in that process of determining where those uh, parks are going to be sited, where the greenways are going to go, and and not necessarily, hey, city, we want you to write a check, but just working together collaboratively. Collaboration doesn't necessarily always mean everybody has to pay for something together, but just those the input and ideas. Hey, we're we're building. Uh, this new development over here, or we've rezoned this over there. Uh, we think there'd be a great opportunity to have a park here. How can we make this happen together? And I think those conversations would be beneficial. Before we move on to the budget, which I know Larkin's got it teed up. Uh, so all that makes sense when I hear it. Yet it seems like it's virtually impossible for city, let's just take city and county, right? City and county to actually collaborate. And do you, you've been around longer than Larkin and I seeing this. Is it is it a staff thing? Is it the county and city manager? Is it the elected bodies? What are, What is it that is the biggest hindrance? Without knowing how the county staff works alongside their counterparts with the city, it's hard for me to address whether there's a staffing issue there. But I can certainly say from an elected pers- uh, official perspective, there does seem to be some sort of territorialism within 
uh, uh, some elected officials where they feel like uh, this is my role I'm responsible for these things and these things only uh, oftentimes we can feel like the the issues that we tackle are more important uh, than issues that other uh, bodies tackle. And so I think that that territorialism, that mindset really prevents us from being able to break down those silos that you referenced earlier and, and have that collaborative approach, which I think is what ultimately delivers the best government, local government to the people uh, that we represent. So with that territorialism and that, uh, you know, who's, whose space is what conversation, there's a provision in the state budget right now whereby municipalities like Charlotte or like Matthews or, or others would be able to also contribute funding to schools, which has typically been the purview of the state government and the county government. Uh, and other than a few narrow lanes that the city's involved in, like resource offices through the police department or out of, out of school time programs, that's not been part of our purview. We're in the middle of our budget right now and are already realizing how how uh, limited dollars can be just for the things that we already have to fund, much less if we added schools into our, our laundry list. What are your thoughts about whether that's a space we should be playing in as the city or if that's maybe too broad and muddies the water? Yeah, I mean, I like the idea of local control and local government having the flexibility to, to address their local needs. The needs that we have in Charlotte may be different from the needs in in. Uh, in Wilmington, for example, um, just because the provision is there that you may participate in education funding does not necessarily mean that you must contribute. Um, but there may be communities elsewhere in the state where they they do want to contribute something from uh, to education out of out of uh, city and municipal dollars. In reference to the charter school portion of the bill, which I think was really the what kicked this all off. Um, I think that if a, if a community in Mecklenburg County, if, if Matthews or Mint Hill or wherever is not feeling like they are getting the return on the dollars that their taxpayers are putting into the pot uh, for, for uh, you know, education, then I think they should have the flexibility and the ability to, to stand up uh, their own charter school or schools. Charter schools are public schools. They receive the same purple pupil funding as any other student within the, the state or within CMS. And so uh, those dollars would get passed through to that school. Uh, a lot of folks have said, well, that's going to lead to a tax increase in, let's say, Matthews as an example. Um, and I just don't think that's going to be the case because I sit on the board of a charter school that intends to open uh, next fall in 2019. And we are able to construct a building and open and, and, and conduct operations just on those charter school pass-through dollars. And so I don't think that necessarily a Matthews, for example, will have to uh, issue bonds or, 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 or somehow, somehow come up with additional tax revenue uh, in order to build a school and operate it. So the thing that concerns me about, about it, I agree with everything you said. And I, I like that, that angle of it. What concerns me is when I think of Charlotte specifically and city government, and I think of, you know, hordes of, of parents and community members coming out saying, well, you can fund it. Our old bailout, not, not that bailing out is a good thing. It's an important topic. Our old bailout is we are, we are not, you know, by, by, uh, uh, Federal or, or definition, state, we are state not in the business of schools. Mandate, we, we, cannot, we are not legally allowed to do so. So now you've got the, that bailout's no longer allowed. We've got a ton of other problems. Now we're going to be stepping on your toes as it relates to where that might happen. And most importantly, um, you know, what's to say next year in the city elections, some huge school activist doesn't come on and their whole platform is schools. 
from the city council perspective. So I'm not trying to minimize the importance of the school topic. Clearly important. I'm also not trying to minimize there are other parts in this state and, and across the region where um, where this makes sense. I'm just thinking selfishly of Charlotte, and I didn't run to get involved in the schools. And I I, I applaud you every day for uh, going into that battle, but I just I'm that's not my area of expertise. What do you think about that angle? Yeah, man, that's a good point. I mean, I, I you know, we're, I, we've got the uh, the budget public hearing tonight at six o'clock, and I know that there will be a lot of people. It, yeah, yeah there will be a lot of people there wearing red Fred, mm-hmm. and, uh, and and that's just part of you know the job of being a, a county commissioner. I understand not wanting to expand the wheelhouse into that area. Um, it is a touchy subject. Every year, the county commission goes through this tug of war with CMS and the public regarding school funding. I can certainly respect not wanting to jump into that. Um, but again, I do look at it as if, 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 if Charlotte did want to contribute X dollars for uh, some, some part of edu- education, now you've got the flexibility to do so. Um, but I think, again, the larger issue here is, is, is the charter school portion of this. And if, if you guys would like, while you're discussing your budget tonight, you can chip into our public safety pay plan uh, that helps pay yeah. our police officers and firefighters. We can't even fully fund the things that are in our scope today. So, Well, and that's, that's, the, that's the flip side of that coin is if we, if we do start muddling those waters too much, um, muddying those waters too much, then it, at what point do you say, well, the county doesn't have extra dollars laying around to help us pay our police officers and firefighters, and we don't have extra dollars laying around to help pay the schools. So, you know, I, I do think it gets confusing, and I do think that it seemed to be emanating from a very specific issue in a very specific place, and then somehow it ended up being a statewide thing. Um, but you, you did perfectly tee up the last question, which is um, give us an update on where you guys are in your budget process. Um, y'all are, I think, trending like a week behind where we are. We started a little earlier with the uh, straw votes and all that and getting our proposed budget where are y'all at and what changes are you hoping to and, see? And in to it? tee that up, Matthew sent me a funny text uh, the other day. Here, I'll let you uh, read that to the group. It's uh, two buttons to press. <laughs> it says uh, higher taxes pay or higher police pay and taxes or the other budget is button is vote against police. So uh, he clearly... Uh, I love the seen... county commissioners have time to make memes. <laughs> <laughs> it was a weekend. Come on. So what's going on in your budget, man? Uh, well, yeah, we're, so we've got the public hearing this evening, and then next week we've got the straw vote, and then on Tuesday the 19th we have the, uh, I think it's the 19th, is the final uh, budget vote. Um, so what we're looking at this year is the managers proposed a three-quarter of a cent tax increase um, for, uh, because we, we're about $9 million short in order to fund um, early childhood education for fourth graders, uh, excuse me, four-year-olds. And so, as everyone is familiar with, the, uh, there's uh, the idea of universal pre-K, where from birth to five years old, uh, any kid, child who needed a, a preschool spot would be able to have one. And so, with this funding, additional funding, we would uh, be able to place an additional 600 four-year-olds into pre-K spots. That's not all of the four-year-olds that need pre-K spots, but that's 600 of them. And so that's that's the uh, the nine million dollar question right now is. Is that a big percentage of them or no? Uh, no, it's a it's a fraction. I think there are wow. two thousand twenty four hundred, if I remember correctly. Wow. Okay. Right, and so uh, so that's where we are. Um, personally, I'm against tax increases, and so what I'm looking at is, uh, can we find places in the budget where we can 
squeeze a little and, and, and come up with some money and some revenue for, for this. And then also uh, the county staff, they do a wonderful job, but every year we underestimate the forecasted property tax revenue and sales tax revenue. And so at the end of the year, we have, they, we have money left over, but that, and that also gives us a little flexibility throughout the year if there's something unexpected that, that arises that needs funding. Um, so knowing that, looking at the budget saying, well, can we take a little bit here and there? And then also, can we give a little bit more accurate uh, forecast, revenue forecast, uh, forecasting, and then put that together and come up with the nine million without having to raise taxes. The concern I have with raising taxes is one, I just don't like raising taxes. Two, it's really important to remember that next year we have a revaluation and property values are expected to rise on average around 30% per home uh, in Mecklenburg County. Now, the county next year, I am sure that we will reduce the tax rate in order to offset some of that 30%. But I can assure you, anybody who's being honest about it, we are not going to set the tax rate back to uh, revenue neutral. And so there will be a tax, an effect, effectively a tax increase next year. So I don't want to have a tax increase on top of a tax increase. Additionally, this only funds four, 600 of those four-year-olds. Um, and so we still have more four-year-olds that will need funding than the three-year-olds, two-year-olds, one-year-olds, and newborns. And so what we're looking at is a series of tax increases in coming years uh, that will eventually be a significant tax increase. Um, anyway, so I kind of went a little deep on that uh, that's early good. childhood Mark, education. He, he was you could <laughs> see like he was daydreaming. Oh, I love all these tax increases. What will we do with the money? Well, so we have, I know several, several of our listeners uh, will be in the chamber for y'all's meeting tonight, uh, which... Tark and I won't because we'll have our own meeting going on upstairs. But to the people who are listening that are going to be there tonight or would want to be there tonight wearing red for Ed, which they want to advocate for the teacher supplement, local teacher supplement, to help get our teachers up to a better level of pay, um, what would you say to them that, that are listening in now? To Kevin. What would you say to Kevin? <laughs> I think we all know who I'm talking about. <laughs> well, yeah, but Ray, there, there's others. Okay, Ray, sure, yeah, Ray, sure. that's fair. Yeah, I, mean, I would say that, uh, you know, Teacher salaries is, is obviously it goes without saying very important. I mean that that's uh, you, you know that, that cannot be lightly said that that we need to be funding our teachers and classrooms and school supplies and so forth. You know we're looking at the state passing what the fifth consecutive pay increase to teachers. Uh, we These are, Republicans, they're just doing such good work up there. <laughs> um, so I think we're we're seeing we're seeing teacher pay. Uh, increase now whether it's increasing as quickly as some would like probably not right um, but at the same time the local supplement is really the idea behind the local supplement is that it will encourage a teacher who wants to to who's looking for a, um, a community to live in and to where to work uh, fresh fresh out of school let's say we want them to come to Mecklenburg County instead of say Anson and so the supplement the idea behind the supplement is this is what North Carolina will pay you to be a teacher in North Carolina Oh, and Mecklenburg County will kick in, I think it's what, 5,500 roughly, 6,500 uh, as a supplement. And, you know, that way a teacher can look at that supplement versus Gaston County's supplement, and then hopefully our supplement's enough to lure them to Mecklenburg County. Um, and that's the idea behind the supplement. It's not, hey, we think teacher salaries are too low, and so we want to kick in extra dollars. It's really almost more of a recruitment tool. Like a corporate incentive. Yeah, yeah, really. Mm -hmm. You just shot yourself in the foot if you ever want to run for Anson or Gaston County Commission. <laughs> but uh, uh, shout out worry. to our friends in Anson yeah. and Gaston. Yeah. We do have some listeners in Gaston. Hey, I don't know hey, about Anson yet. Uh, did you have any other things on the teacher part of it? Because I had one other follow-up. So, But we started the conversation 
talking about uh, you know where we can cross pollinate, work together between the different bodies. So it won't be on our budget vote uh, a week from today, Monday of next week, but it will be a separate vote uh, that you are deeply have been deeply immersed in the Memorial Stadium funded. Mm-hmm. So um, so you guys, uh, without going too deep into that story, went out, uh, voted to put 30 plus million dollars into uh, upfitting and, and renovating and really creating a new special place of Memorial Stadium. You were the lone vote against that, not because I sat there and listened to your debate, not because you didn't believe in it, because you thought the price tag maybe was a little too steep. I probably would have voted the same way if I'd been sitting there. Um, but now we have this weird thing where you guys are already in. We in the city are proposed with an opportunity to cross over that bridge and partner by funding the uh, the uh, astroturf and um, it's not yeah, astroturf. Whatever it is, yeah. The, the artificial su- playing surface. Artificial playing surface. <laughs> no one uses astroturf anymore. <laughs> okay, so Mr. you're deep in it. My fault. So, so, but that's going to be a couple million dollars at least, uh, probably more than that. And the thought process is one: we'll get some benefit as a city. But Larkin and I, and, and we want you to join us in our music initiative. Great opportunity. Brad Paisley's going to be there the night of that West Virginia-Tennessee game coming up. A lot of stuff there. But I guess the, the, the question to you is, so now we know what your position is in your vote, and I would have been the same way. Now that that's already happening, the, the fact that we would get some benefit out of it, and the fact that we need to work more closely together across bodies, if you were now sitting in my seat, would you vote against it? To be part of something that's already going to happen so the city can be part of it? I know you're a little biased coming from the county side now. or would And would you hold that same line or would you think about it differently? I think I would I would look at it from the ROI of if I'm putting in two or three million dollars, what am I going to get out of it? And if, if I'm going to get uh, X number of days a year that I can program Memorial Stadium uh, and bring in my own entertainment or festivals or whatever it might be, um, yeah, I think that that's the balance. Like, okay, well, you're really paying for um, the the usage that you had investment that three million dollars, two million dollars. That's 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 paying for future usage for X number of years. Um, so I think that's the question there. Um, not so much do I agree with the price tag of the overall Memorial Stadium deal. Yeah. That was that was our that was on us. Um, this for you, I think, is really just a matter of. Are we going to be able to fill the, our dates on the calendar and, and be able to get some good community use or musical acts or, or whatever? I think we will be able to use those dates, but I do think that there is value to the symbolism of the city and the county coming together mm-hmm. to work on a very important project and a very important part of our community, uh, preserving a historic landmark, reactivating a site that is going to generate tourism, it's going to generate jobs. Um, so I do think it's more than just those dates, though I think we'll be able to better utilize those dates then we sometimes have left ones on the table at Bank of America Stadium because it costs so much to operate that venue. This venue will be much more cost effective for a lot more types of concerts, festivals, and, and other things. So, yeah. Matthew, my dear, dear friend, we've known each other a very long time. I like seeing you across the aisle over there in uh, County Commission, yet not having to personally be there myself. So, uh, <laughs> you keep up the great work. Final words for our audience. Uh, just, just, I enjoy being on, and uh, if anybody ever has any questions uh, about county government, please feel free to reach out to me. I'm always happy to answer constituent concerns or uh, guide them through budget process or whatever. We appreciate you coming on, and we appreciate all of you out there for listening. This has been Episode 22. Make sure you like the Facebook page, subscribe to the podcast on Spotify, iTunes, or wherever you find your podcast, and tell a friend. 
We love you all, and we will talk to you next week. Peace. You're listening to R&D in the QC with Tariq Bakari and Mark and Eggleston.